This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. Hi, and welcome to Green Talk, a podcast series from GreenLivingIdeas.com. Green Talk helps listeners in their efforts to lead more eco-friendly lifestyles through interviews with top vendors, authors, and experts from around the world. We discuss the critical issues facing the global environment today, as well as the technologies, products, and practices that you can employ to go greener in every area of your life. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for listening in today on Green Talk Radio from GreenLivingIdeas.com. This is Sean Daly. The topic on today's program is the new breed of corporations that are starting to emerge in the country and around the world, and the idea of corporate ethics and whether or not that's really just an oxymoron or if it's even possible. Discussing that topic with me today is my guest, Ian Yallis, who is the Vice President of Brand Communications at Now, which is a clothing company in the green and sustainable space. Ian, welcome to the program. Thanks, Sean. Very nice to talk with you. You bet. Well, so, you know, I, I love companies that have uh, the, get the moniker disruptive because I've founded a few disruptive uh, companies in my, in my time as well. Disruptive business models are my favorite kind. Uh, uh, I guess it's my, my rebellious streak in me. And uh, I was very fascinated to hear. I know now as a company has gotten a lot of attention as being a company that sort of reinvents the corporation, really, uh, goes back to the drawing board uh, as, as in, in this case, as a technical outdoor a sports apparel company. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to hear a little bit about the, the founding of the company, its founding principles, and just the, really this, the history, if we would start there. Well, you're absolutely right, John. You've actually characterized it quite ni- nicely. We really began to work on this about two and a half years ago, and uh, there was a group of people that came together uh, who were very committed to the idea of uh, really redesigning the notion of what a company can be and how a company might function uh, to make it a little bit more relevant um, and resonant uh, than some of the typical notions. So, you know, I've really thought about the last two and a half years as uh, an exercise in design because we had this unique opportunity to design a company from scratch. And in our case, what really informed the design process was our collective commitment to the ideals and the ethos associated with sustainability, and also uh, the broader assertion and contention that we would make, which is that companies have a much broader responsibility to the community than simply the singular, rabid pursuit of profit at the expense of everything else. So those ideas have really informed uh, how we've designed the entire company. Well, that's very inspiring to hear. We talk a lot on the show about voting with your dollars and the importance of that, and I think that that gets a lot of airtime. But to hear it happening from the other side is is very encouraging because sometimes it feels like we're all sort of the, the David against the, the the Goliaths out there of the corporate world, and, and certainly that motive for for you know that sole motivation for profit seems to characterize the majority of what we see uh, in ter- certainly in this company. I, I understand that the the company that half of the top leaders or over half of the top leaders of the company. Uh, during that initial founding session were, were ex-Patagonia employees and then also Nike and some other companies. Is that right? Yeah, the core group uh, that really got started working on this two and a half years ago, we all have spent, uh, well, we all have 
20 plus years of experience in the industry, uh, in the outdoor industry and the broader sports and athletic industry. And all of us have worked previously at, at Nike and or Patagonia. And some of us, including myself, have worked at both of those companies. So on the one hand, we draw from a lot of experience. And on the other hand, we wanted to uh, question all of our assumptions about how business uh, can operate and how business should operate. So tell us a little bit about some of those decisions that were made you know, around the drawing board. Um, you know, just maybe just give us some of the, the major changes that are really bucking the trends as far as the way that the companies run, both from the manufacturing side as well as internally. Well, I think there there are, there are all kinds of illustrative examples, but um, let me let me choose one or two. I think I think one of the most interesting because it's it's central uh, to the whole uh, enterprise goes you know way back to the beginning so we had not raised a dime we didn't have an office nobody was on a payroll and one of the first things we had to do was incorporate the company and you know that is typically a fairly boilerplate legalistic process you know you develop your corporate bylaws and your articles of incorporation and and you exist <laughs> right but we paused again this idea of trying to be as intentional and thoughtful as we could possibly be we paused and we asked ourselves the question is there language that we want to put in our corporate bylaws that really reflects our core purpose and our and and, and how we want to define the way in which we'd like to operate? So um, we kind of learned from the thinking of a guy by the name of Robert Hinckley, who's a, a very well established corporate attorney. And Hinckley's written about this subject, and and he says that. Uh, in the post-Enron, post-WorldCom world, you cannot simply attribute, you know, the kind of corrupt, unlawful, and egregious behavior that, you know, was demonstrated with each of those examples. You can't simply attribute that to a few rogue individuals. What he says is that that kind of uh, behavior is the inevitable and natural and predictable result of people working in a system that is designed to do one thing and one thing only, and that's to produce profit. That's that's what corporations are designed to do. Right. So Hinckley argues if you want to change the corporation, you have to change the system. And his his solution was to add 28 words to the articles of incorporation of a company, which essentially uh, what he argued was, you know, the the bylaws now say um, the company exists or the, the directors have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders, period. But he said you would change the system if you added 28 words, and the 28 words would reflect the idea that the director, the board of directors have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders, but not without balancing and considering the needs of the of the environment, human rights-related issues, social justice-related issues, et cetera, et cetera. He had his version of the 28 words. So right at the beginning, we incorporated Hinckley's thinking. We reflected that kind of language in our corporate bylaws. So it defines the role of the company and the responsibility of the board in a broader fashion than a traditional corporation. And then we go on, and there's a document called the Rules of Corporate Responsibility, and there are eight or nine commitments in there. For example, it says that the gap between the lowest paid employee and highest paid employee will never be greater than a factor of 12. It says that we will never pay less than one and a half times minimum wage in the United States. It says that we guarantee uh, benefits to partners regardless of sexual orientation. So there are eight or nine commitments like that. 
And then the sort of kicker to all of this language, right in the bylaws, the rules of corporate responsibility, it says that none of this can ever be changed without less than 75% shareholder approval. Okay. So I think that's an interesting, you know, if not radical uh, example yeah. of, of how we've tried to be as intentional and thoughtful from a design point of view. Well, that's, um, that's, that's fascinating. I, I really, I, that, I had not heard that. And what I find, I, I think that that's the cure that we've been looking for. There's a lot of conventional wisdom out there that says that a lot of the ills uh, that have befallen society, in, in, especially in the United States, have had to do with the fact that ever since the personification of the corporation came into existence uh, with regards to tax laws and things, and the problem is that corporations being, you know, and this is the tenet of movies like The Corporation, is that, uh, that corporations are basically amoral people in that sense, that they've been afforded rights legally, legally and otherwise, but without the, 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 the morals that we're expected to have and carry forth into society, a person who essentially operates solely based on profit. So this seems to be then, you know, counteracting that in some ways, is to actually put some sort of ethos into the corporate bylaws uh, in the foundation. Well, that, so you're absolutely right, and, and that was the nature of the dialogue that we had early on. And, um, you know, I think it's an interesting example, and, and again, I use the word somewhat radical uh, in, in, in terms of, I think, taking that step. But we believe that that reflects, um, uh, you know, the fundamental sort of purpose of what we're setting out to do and how we want to design the nature of this particular company. Um, so I think that's a pretty compelling example. I think, I think another really interesting example is what we've done from a product point of view, because um, you know there are a lot of really really good technical outdoor performance brands that exist in the marketplace, and and all of us have spent years in the industry, and we knew at the outset that the last thing the world needed was just another genre of technical outdoor performance apparel. So if that's what we were aspiring to do from a product point of view, you know we all knew we. Should should pack up shop before we even got started. So really what I think developed over time was a highly differentiated point of view uh, as far as the product was concerned, and it's reflected in our sort of design philosophy, if you will. And the idea was to create product that not only had all the functional and performance attributes of of outdoor apparel, uh, but also combined with performance and function, sustainability, and beauty. And if you pause for a second and think about it, you know, my, my sense is that in the world of design, and specifically product design, the idea that you could create any product that combined those three ingredients, beauty, performance, and sustainability, I think historically the assumption, the dominant paradigm has been that you can't combine those three things, that somehow they're antithetical and mutually exclusive, and that if you pursue all of those three things together, you'll end up with a compromised product on on, on multiple levels. So we simply did not uh, embrace or accept that uh, a set of assumptions and that kind of paradigm. Um, In fact, we said we think it is very possible to incorporate those three things into apparel product in a way that's very synergistic and very complementary. So uh, that's what we've done, and I think the product line reflects that design philosophy of integrating beauty, performance, and sustainability. Can you give us some of the tangibilities of how that happens? I understand that, like for example, that there are no logos on the clothing. Is that accurate? 
that was one of the decisions we've made, which, again, if you think about the industry we operate in, the uh, outdoor industry or the broader sports and athletic industry, you know, this is product that is littered with, uh, with external logos. And we made a decision, and it was very contentious internally uh, initially. We had fierce debate about this, but we made a decision not to put external logos on our product. And, you know, there were a number of reasons for that. One is we believe that people are just tired of being somebody else's billboard. You know, as, as an individual, you have your own identity and you want to express who you are versus, you know, who somebody else is. And, you know, in a way, clothing reflects who you are and you don't want to sort of litter that with, uh, you know, somebody else's logo. Right. So we just think people are tired of that. Uh, but we also felt that often, from a design point of view, people default to logos because, they do not have a strong design point of view that's uh, applied consistently. And our belief is over time people will recognize our product because of its design sensibility and, and the particular point of view that it expresses. Uh, uh, and then the other reason we ultimately were interested in the idea of not putting a logo on our product was that as a brand, we're really interested in inviting uh, and hosting dialogue and conversation. And we're doing that in multiple venues. But, you know, the fact is, if you're wearing a, a piece of clothing that is intriguing and interesting, and, and I see it, and I'm, I'm interested in it, and it strikes me, I'm going to ask you about it, especially if it doesn't have a logo. I'll say, hey, where did you get that? What, what is it? Uh, and it's going to actually uh, catalyze conversation and dialogue, which, you know, we're very interested in as a brand. This really turns to the conventional, conventional notions of uh, really business in general as well as marketing on the tier. I mean, it's really kind of anti-marketing in a lot of ways. Well, you know, another question that was kind of an intriguing question that we sort of stumbled upon in some ways, and, and I don't profess or to have a definitive answer to this, but, you know, we started to ask the question, well, what, what would sustainable marketing look like? Uh, what would that actually be? <laughs> sustainable marketing. What, what is and what is that? Yes, I'm curious myself. Well, again, we I don't think we have a, a, a finished answer to the question, but uh, I can tell you our emerging point of view is that um, it has it has to do with storytelling. And if you think about you know s- stories, meaningful, authentic stories are, are are stories that have endured over time, and not only over time, they've tended they've tended to be archetypal and and therefore. Uh, sort of transcend cultures. Yeah, I'm a huge I'm a huge Joseph Campbell fan, so that strikes a lot of chords with me. Right. So if you've read Joseph Campbell, you, you sort of get that idea. And uh, but but again, the key is that the stories they resonate because they they're authentic and they 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 carry a, a level of meaning. Um, that enables them to transcend culture and endure over time. So, so that got us thinking a lot about this idea of storytelling, and um, and we've tried to. That's really, in a sense, the the essence of how we're building the brand. And we we're creating forums where we can um, tell stories. We're interested in other people's stories and reflecting other people's stories, who you know ultimately embody sort of the values of the brand that we're building. Um, and we're all, and just the idea of third-party storytelling, if it's a credible story that actually has some interest embedded in it and has real meaning associated with it, other people are going to tell the story and pass the story on. And so that's really, you know, in a, in a fairly simple way, how I would articulate what we believe is, is, is sustainable marketing. It's truthful and it's honest and it's authentic. And it gets back to the root of really what, what marketing and communications is all about, is it, all, all of human communication uh, 
uh, or most of human, human communication comes down to uh, storytelling, if you really boil it down. Well, it does, and it's interesting. I just heard a lecture the other night by David Corton, and he talked about this idea of storytelling. And, you know, basically he argues that uh, commercial interests have sort of um, uh, taken over the storytelling in our culture. Um, and that's that's and you know he argues that that sort of transformed the the broad co- consciousness and it's a time to reclaim the role of storyteller and reclaim uh, the true and authentic stories. Well, I would I would certainly tend to agree with that that assessment, and uh, I think that that is a part of what's what's been happening is that we have we've and I think it's a lost art in general in all ways. I mean, even beyond business, it's just the the lost art of storytelling. Um, you know, we we think about the the uh, famous you know sitting around a campfire and having a story told, or you know, one of the things that I made a personal discovery about was the stories uh, that I would tell my children going to bed at night. The ones that I would make up were the ones that they were always the one the most fascinated with, and that they asked for over and over again, even beyond the ones that we were reading from books. And and so and there and and in, and it was very difficult to do that because it's you know it's really much harder to. But it gets back to some very sort of I think primal part of our our human to do that, to, to pass on stories that are more personal and that are, that are really a reflection of yourself and your culture and things like that. So um, it makes sense to me that there would be resonance with people about that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. In fact, we have a, little, we have a section on our website that's entitled The Collective, and that's a venue for storytelling. And we're using video and photographic imagery and word to tell stories. And um, when we launched The Collective section, the original image um, on that page of our website, that section of our website, was a group of people sitting around a campfire because it does evoke that kind of, um, you know, sort of primal instinct in a way. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also, and I, that, I think that's also tied into the fire and the, the, the magical essence of fire. For some reason, it gets people <laughs> staring around the fire and telling stories and being more social. So whatever that is, I don't know any scientific behind scientific evidence behind that, but it certainly seems to be uh, anecdotally true. Yeah. Um, so what are the other ways that, that uh, you have embraced the storytelling paradigm within the marketing or the anti-marketing, as it were, that now uses it? The other, what are the other ways that that's happening um, throughout the company? Well, I think one of the most visible manifestations of that relates to the commitment we've made, which is unprecedented. And um, we, we are giving away 5% of every sale of our product to support the work of a, of a select group of uh, nonprofit organizations. So first of all, um, that 5% is by orders of magnitude well beyond any established benchmark of corporate philanthropy in the United States. If you do the research, the average level of corporate giving in the United States is somewhere less than two-tenths of 1%. Yes. So it's a very significant and unprecedented commitment. But what I think is even more interesting, and it comes back again to this idea of storytelling, than the amount is the fact that we invite every single customer of ours purchase by purchase to participate directly in the giving process. So when you uh, purchase a product from us, we show you a menu of 10 different uh, interesting nonprofit organizations. Some are working on environmental issues, some are working on social and humanitarian issues, some are working internationally, some are working nationally, and some are local organizations working in the local community that our store is actually located in, one of our, you know, the particular store. And you tell us which organization's mission and mandate um, really resonates with you, and, and we will direct the donation uh, according to the way that you tell us to direct it to um, one of the organizations within the list. So there's this experiential um, 
engagement at the time of transaction. And one of the reasons I think that's interesting is, you know, we, we essentially live in a consumer culture. All of us, on a daily basis, it, I, I think it probably is fairly atypical to go through a day without engaging in some kind of transaction, whether it's, you know, getting on a bus to go to work or buying a cup of coffee. And we don't really think twice about this kind of transactional mode. And what we're doing here is we're bringing together this kind of transactional consumer moment with the idea of civic participation and civic engagement. At the point, literally at the point of sale. Literally at the point of sale. So, you know, you use the word disruptive when you introduced our conversation, and I think this is a, a disruptive moment, but hopefully in a constructive way. And I think that... Uh, disruptive moment. Well, first of all, I think it's going to lead to customer of ours talking about this very unusual experience they, they've had when they've purchased a product from us and, you know, they have an opportunity to be invited into the, the giving part of the transactional process. So I think that will generate stories and storytelling, not only about now, but more importantly, about the interesting nonprofit organizations who are partners of ours in what we call our Partners for Change program. So that's one dimension of the storytelling. The other dimension of the storytelling is that, you know, we have these relationships as a, as a private sector company with this commu- very interesting community of nonprofit organizations. And yes, we're going to be supporting them financially, but I think there's a storytelling dimension to the partnership that is even richer, which is to say that we can convey the work of these organizations, the important work of these organizations, who they are, what they do, why it's meaningful, why it matters, to our growing community over time. In other words, we can uh, convey their story to our audience, which is not necessarily an audience they would necessarily um, uh, be able to engage with otherwise. And in turn, they have their constituents, and they can uh, communicate to their constituents about their partnership with NOW and, and, and the sort of synergistic nature of it. So there's a storytelling component to the partnerships, which I think uh, is very uh, rich and, uh, and relevant and and mutually beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. It's very inspiring to hear. In fact, if you go into one of our four stores, um, again, we've been deliberate about creating venues for storytelling. And in the back of our stores, there's a a large graphic uh, wall with a a, a sort of a, a graphic that draws your attention to it. We call it the giving wall. And embedded in the giving wall, we have a couple interactive touchscreens. And you can, as a customer in the store environment, go up to these interactive touchscreens and learn about the work of each of these nonprofit organizations. So, again, it's a venue for storytelling. Similarly, if you go on our website, there's a whole section of the website where you can learn about each of our nonprofit partners and the work that they do. So that will help inform your ultimate decision about what organization you'd like to support. Right. It seems to me the, the recurrent theme here and the consistent theme is that it's it's about the character of the company and who you're doing business with and ultimately who the customer is supporting uh, and that the product, I don't mean to belittle, I'm not belittling what you do on the product side, but that is almost a, a it's a uh, incidental or second of secondary importance to the the character and the actions of of the company and of the people that are acting as consumers in this case, uh, and w- which again turns everything sort of on its ear in a way that's very fascinating. Well, I, I guess the way I'd frame it is we, one of the things we knew is we, we thought there are a lot of interesting things that we're doing um, 
and there are many other examples. But uh, we also knew that um, you know it all starts with product, and you have to, as any business, I think you have to have a, a really uh, not only differentiated but um, uh, really relevant. Uh, product and all of these other things that we're doing kind of get wrapped around the product, and that's why uh, you know we spent a lot of time thinking about our product and the design philosophy and uh, investing in significant fabric development efforts. and And I think we have some tremendous product, and in some ways, it's a new genre of apparel product because of this idea of incorporating beauty, performance, and sustainability. I don't think anybody's ever really done that before. Um, but you're right. Beyond the product, assuming that that you know we have a compelling product that people are going to be interested in. The notion of the character of the company becomes, I think, uh, today in this world, much more important than it's ever been. Uh, I think that the idea of how you do business is equally important to, you know, what you do. Um, you know, the world, we live in a digital world, and information, whether it's positive or negative, can get transmitted extremely rapidly and extremely broadly, much more so than, you know, even five or ten years ago. And in some ways, that means that uh, we also live in a much more transparent world. And uh, that's why I think this notion of character, the character of the company and how you do business is uh, much, much more important to any discerning uh, consumer than it's ever been in the past. It, it's fascinating. You know, it's timely that you mentioned that as well because we've had the, you know, I've had the uncomfortable uh, obligation recently to, to um, say no to a number of companies that have wanted to participate on, on this program because, you know, there are companies who have, you know, from our research and from various watch lists are, are, are maybe not doing great things in the world, to, to put it mildly. And so it's been interesting, but really to uphold the, those those corporate tenants, because it ultimately comes down to a corporation, there's a company there, but it comes down to people with a desire to, just as the founding fathers of this country, uh, or, or you know, the, the founding partners of any organization try to do is beyond profit, you should be setting up some sort of, um, I think, uh, uh, there's a set of societal uh, tenets and beliefs or cultural tenets and beliefs that need to get put in there. And uh, so so it's, it's a pleasure to be part of this whole revolution that's happening. And I, I see now as one of the companies at the forefront of that. So we certainly come, appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of that with us and wish, wish you much luck with, uh, with everything you're doing um, with the company and with its products. And we'll look forward to uh, hearing more about you in the future. Well, thanks, Sean. We uh, appreciate the opportunity to have the conversation. And, you know, just in closing, just building on your last comment, we certainly feel inspired by a variety of other people, and we certainly feel like we are, you know, a part of a much broader emerging community of individuals and, 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 and businesses and institutions that um, believe these kinds of ideas are important and are, uh, you know, integrating them into their day-to-day lives. So we certainly, you know, we're energized by that idea of being a part of this larger emerging community. Do you have any, uh, on that note, do you have any references or resources that you could point our listeners who are listening in today uh, to to find other companies like that that you would recommend? Well, certainly, you know, the first company that's at the top of my mind is uh, a place that I used to work and a number of my colleagues used to work, and that's Patagonia. I mean, Patagonia has been a source of inspiration to us in some ways. You know, we probably wouldn't be doing what we were doing unless Patagonia had uh, not only laid some groundwork, but we had benefited from from direct personal experience um, with uh, with Patagonia. So that's certainly a company that comes to mind. There's an 
interesting, uh, relatively fresh new company called Method based in the Bay Area mm-hmm. uh, that are making uh, sort of Clean motion products. Uh, cleaning product and uh, they're doing some interesting things. Uh, so actually, there you know there are a number of emerging companies that I think reflect this kind of sensibility. Are they? Are they? I guess what I was driving at. I appreciate that you mentioned one of your competitors. That's very noble of you. I, I wasn't really uh, going there, but I do appreciate <laughs> you saying that. I'm I'm curious. I think more broadly, are you familiar with any organizations that that all of these companies are, are commonly a member of, uh, or website resources or anything like that that you might be able to point you know as a uh, as a first place for people to maybe go shopping or find out about companies that are being more avant-garde in their thinking? Well, certainly I think, you know, I think Treehugger is a great source online. Uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, sites slash blogs, which, you know, is a little bit broader than, than specifically the business world, but uh, incorporates the business world is worldchanging.com, who, you know, continually write about uh, all of the innovative, positive things that are happening you know, around the world uh, that reflect the kind of sensibility that we're talking about. I think world changing is a tremendous resource. Great. Well, we appreciate that. And uh, Ian Yalas has been my guest today. He is the vice president of marketing for Now, who is at www.now.com. And I want to make sure I spell that. It's N-A-U.com. Ian, it's been a sincere pleasure having you on the program today. We'd love to have you back and talk more sometime. Great, Sean. I really appreciate the opportunity. I look forward to a future conversation. Thanks as always to everyone listening in today. Remember, for more free on-demand podcasts, articles, videos, and other information related to living a greener lifestyle, visit our website at www.greenlivingideas.com. We'd also love to hear your comments, feedback, and questions. Send us an email at editors at greenlivingideas.com. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com.